0: I'd like to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, please, this evening. Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like to, uh, this is almost an odd introduction of a series because it's going to, it's scheduled to be 21 messages and it's going to probably stretch from here until the fall on Sunday nights uh, because of the nature of how Sunday nights get Get uh, bounced around with missionaries and everything else going on. So it's gonna it's gonna be a long series. I'm I'm uh, telling you that, but there's 21 parts to it that I'm gonna break it down, and it has to do uh, with discipleship and and what uh, we would hope as a church is happening in our church in terms of discipleship and and uh if i could If I could put it in the sort of uh simplistic way, what would be benchmarks of discipleship? If someone's being discipled, what would that look like? I've done it before, so I'm not going to do it again, but I've done this a lot of different places, a lot of different times. I've asked the question to people, "Have you ever been discipled and and it's honestly, it's a little bit of a trick. Right, Because generally, it's a, a smaller portion of the congregation or the group of people that actually raises their hand and says, yes, I've been discipled. And then I'll say something like, so you didn't go to Sunday school? right? You didn't, you didn't participate in the life of your church? How are you defining discipleship? Because usually it's defined... Uh, if I could put it this way, from parachurch ministries, right that 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 thrive on creating uh, curriculums and processes that focus on one on one or one on two or small group because they're not actually a part of the church. I mean the the boom of them in the middle of the twentieth century, and, and I'm I'm thankful for. I'm not saying it in a negative way, but one of the most, uh, one of the most influential one is a group called Navigators, which has its name because it was developed by a man named Dawson Troutman, who was ministering to naval personnel, and he was trying to find a way to get God's truth to sailors, right? So they're out on ships, or or dislocated from their homes, and they would put them into study groups and study. And it's a great thing. I think I'm looking at Tom Sand. Tom Sand was a part of that ages ago, right? While he was in the Navy. So lots of good, but here's what happens. Lots of good happens, and all of a sudden people say, hey, we should copy that. And so Navigator 2.7 studies, Navigator personal discipleship happens, and I'm not saying it's bad, but all of a sudden the whole paradigm becomes this is what discipleship is. It's not something that happens for all believers in the regular life of the church. It's something that happens to super saints who take a second step, right? It's it's actually some specialization rather than the normal life of the church, exercise of mutual ministry and the gifts that Christ has given to us, right? Because the reality of it is, From the moment you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you become a disciple. And everyone who's helping you follow him better is involved in your discipleship. Because that's what being a disciple is, right? Following Christ. So people who are helping you follow Christ better are participating in your discipleship. And, And that's supposed to be happening in the flow and life of the local assembly. Let me, let me direct us into the text of Scripture and, and uh, walk through it really in a survey way because it's not a text I hope that we're unfamiliar with. Start in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he, referring back to Jesus, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up Of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. All right, so I'm I'm going to uh, really survey, remind us of what's going on here Uh, to drive it home then to some, some applications for us. The first is to look at the resources that Christ has given to the church for its growth and health. In verse 11, there are gifted leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The apostles and prophets, I take to be foundational gifts of the church because of their revelatory nature. And I say that on the basis of, for instance, chapter two, verse 20, if you just look over there real quick, It says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Then if you just keep tracking through into chapter 3, notice what he says in verses 4 and 5. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in or by the Spirit. So I go down there to show you that the prophets, I believe the prophets to which he is referring, are actually New Testament prophets, not the Old Testament prophets. And there's two reasons for that. The gifts in verse 11 happened when? After Jesus had ascended to heaven. right? So he wasn't giving the Old Testament prophets after he ascended to heaven. It must be some prophets who are after his ascension. And then in verse five, it says, there's a mystery that had been hidden in previous generations, but now has been revealed to us by his apostles and prophets. So the prophets who are involved in the revelation of this mystery are New Testament prophets. And and chapter two, verse 20 says, they were the foundation of the church. They were actually people who were revealing to the church, the truth of God, which would be the foundation of the church. And I think because of that, uh, we shouldn't be looking for apostles and prophets at the present time because the foundation has been laid. All right? Evangelist is simply a gospel preacher. That's all, all it means. And I, I think you can't, uh, well, what I'd say is I think you can, you can make a good case that it's not just an itinerant revivalist. Right, Someone who travels around preaching to believers because the word is a gospel preacher. Right, It's probably more like we would talk about as a missionary church planter. Uh, for instance, Philip is called an evangelist in the book of Acts, and that's because he was taking the gospel out first to the, 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 the Samaritans and then up into Judea and was preaching the gospel in that way. Timothy is told to do the work of an evangelist while he's actually in Ephesus. So that's why I have a hard time restricting it to missionary activity. He's he's there serving in a pastoral capacity, but still being responsible to do evangelism, to preach the gospel, to advance it. But I basically just covered all the times it's used. So we just don't have a lot of information other than the raw definition that it's somebody whose ministry focuses on preaching the gospel. And I say I think we could say as well that is a part of how the church is to be equipped to do the work of Christ because that's what it flows into in verse 12. And then there's pastors and teachers which are together. Uh, notice the language in verse 11. Uh, key on the word some if you have the New American Standard. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and that says some as pastors and teachers." So those are together. Some take it as pastor teachers. I take it as uh, pastors is a subset of teachers. Right? All pastors are teachers, but not all teachers are pastors. Uh, a parallel usage would be in the Gospels, where they talk about tax collectors and sinners. Right. It's not meaning tax collectors are not sinners. Right. Sinners would be the bigger category and tax collector would be a subset of those. So there's a gift to the church of people who serve as shepherds who have teaching gifts that are to equip the saints. Right. And, and, and I think the thing that we'd say common about all of them in verse 11 is their speaking gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, their focus is on the ministry of the word so that the saints can be built up, equipped and built up. All right, so, So gifted leaders, but drop down to the end of the passage, to verse 16, because it's also gifted people or members of the body, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So so it's the, actually the ministry of the parts of the body that cause the body to grow. Right. That's the end of the verse. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So, so this 11 to 16, it's, it's really sort of like bookends, On the front end, when Christ ascended to heaven, he gave certain gifted servants to the church for the proclamation of the word. And there, verse 12, supposed to equip the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. That's what verse 12 says, right? Who does the work of service? It's the saints. Equipped by the gifts in verse 11, Produces the ministry of the body in verse 12, and we then see how that's supposed to happen in verse 16. Right? Each joint, the proper working of each part, so that the body builds itself up in love. I hope you've heard me say this, and uh, you probably have heard me. I hope you remember that I've said this, right? Um, Churches are not about pastors, right? They're about the body. Congregations don't exist for pastors. Pastors exist for congregations. Right? And and part of the problem in our American culture is that we tend to have vestiges of, like, sort of the great man theory that have creeped into the way we view everything. Right? If anything's going to get done, there has to be some, some pivotal great person that actually is the driving force of everything that happens. And I would suggest to you that that's not actually the framework for the church, right? The health of the church is determined by the members of the body. The members of the body are what cause the body to grow, right? And and so we have to recognize that in terms of the resources entrusted to the church. Notice the beginning. Well, look at verse 12 real quickly. All right. So those gifts are given. I've already, I've already mentioned it. I just want to draw out so you can see the, the, the logic of the passage, all right? The gifts in 11 are given for the equipping of the saints. And that equipping of the saints results in the work of service, the building up of the body of Christ. All right. So so you, you would look at it this way. Uh, if we just narrow it to pastors and teachers, right? They function to equip the saints. The saints then are to engage in the work of service or ministry. And, and then that would result in the building up of the body. So it's set up like that. So the immediate purpose of pastors is the equipping of the saints. The ultimate purpose of that is the work of ministry. That's why, I probably haven't said this in a long time, so this will be my chance to do it. That's why I work really hard not to talk about lay ministry. right? Because that, that flows out of a conception of ministry where you have specially designated people called clergy who actually do real ministry then there's other people who do sort of like a lower level kind of ministry. It's lay ministry. It's not the real thing, but it's sort of like Like if I said, "Well, I'm not. I mean, this is you know, this isn't true of me, right? I'm not an electrician. I'm just a. I'm a, sort of like a lay electrician." And you'd go, "Well, lay off my electrical stuff, then, right?" <laughs> you'd be going. I'd be saying, "I'm an untrained, unprofessional electrician." And yet, sometimes that's what we talk about with the ministry of God's people. Well, they, they, they're involved in lay ministry, which means they're not really set apart for it. They're not really qualified for it, but they're doing it. And if they're not, if they're not actually qualified to be doing it, who's dropped the ball? Think about the logic of the text. Who's supposed to be getting people ready to do the work of ministry? The pastors. So if actually you're in a state where you go, well, we've got ministry, then we've got lay ministry, you're actually confessing that the pastors haven't done their job. Because they shouldn't be lay ministers. They should actually be people doing the ministry that they've been gifted by Christ to do and carrying that ministry out in the way that Christ wants them to. All right, It's supposed to be the ministry of God's people being done. And when that's done, now look at verse 13, because the language that Paul uses here establishes, if I could put it as sort of the goal, right? If, if the pastors are equipping the saints, and the saints are involved in the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, then that would be pushing us to the goals that are mentioned in verses 13 and 14. And it says, until we all attain, all right? And this would be, I think, uh, I think this would be the kind of thing like we even talked about this morning. Remember right when I went, there's a bar up there and you're reaching for that bar. You're never going to get a hold of it completely, all Right? These would be that kind of a thing because the problem is there's always new believers coming to Christ. There's always there's always the work going on to produce these things. But he says in verses 13 and 14 and then 15 and 16 that the goals would be maturity in ministry. And maturity would be marked by this, unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The maturity of our congregation, according to Ephesians 4, is in part gauged by the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It's a doctrinal kind of issue. Do we have one united view of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God? Right? Are we all joined in our understanding of who Christ is and our relationship to him. It also is an issue of conformity in verse 13, that we are moving toward until we all attain to a mature man. And that is talking about the congregation, not just individuals. All right, And notice what it says about this. The measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We could say it this way. It's congregational Christ-likeness. Are we reflecting the character of Christ as a body? Because he's our head, and we're supposed to reflect and follow him. Right Then verse 14 would say that one of the marks of maturity is stability. As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. Right? If, uh, if waves of heresy blow through our congregation and people are toppled by them, do you know what that would mean? Is that we've got immaturity. We're children as to the faith. We're not stable and established. right? So one of the tasks of pastors and teachers is to keep feeding the truth of God to God's people so that they're nourished up in the words of the faith and sound doctrine. So they're not susceptible to the false teachers that blow through all the time. It's never There has never been a time in the history of the church where Satan is not attacking the church through false teaching. It's all over the New Testament, the warnings and instructions. Right, The devil is pernicious and evil, but he appears, 2 Corinthians 11 says, as an angel of light. right, And he preaches a Jesus, but it's a different Jesus than the one the apostles preached. I mean, he, he doesn't operate really so much by a, a competitive doctrine as much as a counterfeit doctrine. And, and the gifted leaders of the congregation have a job to help equip the church not to be susceptible to those things, not to be chasing after every fad that comes down the pipe, the latest book to say they've discovered the answer, right? Or... I mean, you could go back over the last three years and see all kinds of crazy wackiness that professing believers embraced, and and it was a great revelation of the immaturity of God's people, right? And 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 we need to recognize that that's a part of it. It's it's that the church becomes adult like in its understanding, so it's not naive and gullible and susceptible, right? It it actually is firmly rooted in the faith that's once for all been delivered to the saints, right? So maturity is a major goal for the process of discipleship in the congregation. And then ministry, look at the language in verse 15, right? Your, is calling on the congregation to be speaking the truth in love and, and will grow up in all aspects, into Him who is the head, even Christ. And then that text that I read, verse sixteen: the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love. So, so if we're going to say, are we a mature, uh, mature ministry? Well, do we have unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God? Do we have? Congregational Christ-likeness. Do we have uh, doctrinal, biblical stability? If we're going to talk ministry, it would be this. Is there full participation of the body? Because look what it says about the whole body and every joint and each individual part, right? Those, those are saying that it's the whole body that's involved in the work of ministry. It's not just uh, a few, it's everybody. And, and, and what I would say is, and I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to say much about it, but I think we need to be careful about thinking about this like Americans who love to think organizational charts and job descriptions, right? What we should be thinking about it is giftedness, because that's what it talks about. So it's full participation according to the gifts that God has given to the church by the Spirit. And, and there are some of those gifts that don't fit well in an organizational chart. right? Uh, say the gift of hospitality that Romans chapter 12 mentions, or the gift of exhortation, right? the gift of mercy. It's, it's not actually set up like, hey, you've got a job and you've got your job, so everything's set. And if you don't have a job, then you're not actually serving Christ. right The real issue is the gifts that have been given to you by the risen Christ are to be used for the good of the body. That's the third component, the body building itself up. so So the real test would be in what way are you doing the thing Christ has equipped you to do that's bringing spiritual benefit to the body? That's really the issue. And and then when we think about ourselves as a congregation, if there's only a small portion of people who are thinking, I need to use the gift I have from Christ to benefit the body, then clearly the congregation is not healthy. It's not growing the way Christ wants it to grow. And, and that's not—I uh, mean, I, I say this a bunch because I always put, have to put the caveat because I know, you know things, things can be heard sideways sometimes, right? I think programs are good when they serve this purpose, but the fact is— that many of us don't serve like we ought to because we think service is a program. Right? We don't think service is the work of the Spirit of God to move me toward people to do them spiritual good. Right? So, so we could walk right past. See a need and hope some program will meet that need because that's the American culture, right? We're ready to call somebody and say, "Hey, do we have a program to solve this problem?" Or where do I send this person? Or what do I? Because we want to have some kind of a program, and the and and God's program is actually His people. It's the body, right? He is at work through the parts of the body to do what he wants done. And we, if we're yielded to the head and walking in the spirit, become the means that God uses to do good to the body so the body is being built up in love. It's much more, much more dynamic. And, and organic, if I could put it that way. So what kind of activities would that mean? Right, I mean I've already hit a bunch of them. So, so I'm, I'm sort of circling around the passage a couple of times. It would mean at least five things that this text would point us toward. One is equipping. right? So every church should have equipping happening in it. It, it would mean work of ministry, verse 12. Every church should have people... Engaging in works of service. Right? It would mean that the body of believers is speaking truth to one another. That's what Ephesians 4.15 says. That's how we grow. So we're, we're speaking truth to one another. And, and God uses that to help us grow. All right? And that, that clearly doesn't mean preaching to each other. Right? Here's what I mean by that is, we can't reduce the speaking of truth to being, well, you know, when someone preaches or someone teaches a Sunday school. It's actually supposed to be something that's happening between believers. We're, we're communicating God's truth for the encouragement and exhortation and and building up of God's people. So, So it's something to be happening in the fabric of our lives. It it says in verse 16 that every joint will supply, and there's a proper working of each part. So, what are you supplying? What is the proper working of the part that you are? Right. That's, That's what the text would push us toward. You have something that Christ has given you to supply to the body is that flowing out of your life into the body. There's something that you have been equipped to do within the body, and the proper working of that is essential to the health of the body. So what is that? All right, what, what is it? Because... Um, I would say to you that you need to wrestle very deeply with 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11 that I preached at the end of 22. That we, if we've received the gift, should employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. All right, so, so Christ, when he ascended to heaven, gave you something to supply to the body. He has placed you in the body so that the proper working of the part you have produces the growth of the body, and one day you will give an account to Jesus for whether you supplied that, whether you were properly working or not, whether you were a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Because that's the activity that's supposed to flow out of this. All right, so for quick ramifications, I'm, I'm trying to hustle here, all right? Not, not news, I hope. Number one is you need the body. Right? Do you realize that when Christ ascended to heaven, he, in his Sovereign and perfect wisdom said, I'm going to establish a body which will contribute to the health of each individual part. There will be people who have gifts for preaching and teaching and shepherding who will pour into the life of the body. You need those. There will be other believers that have gifts that will pour into your life. You need those. Jesus didn't design a system for lone ranger Christians. He didn't didn't leave that as his will. And and we we have to come to grips with that. We have got such an arrogant individualism in our culture. We do not want to be accountable to anybody. We want to do our own thing at our own pace, in our own way. We are an island to ourselves. And that is contrary to the will of Jesus Christ. It is not his plan. You've been placed into a body because you need the body. And don't take my word for it. Take Jesus's. Because that's what he said here through the Apostle Paul. You need the body. But it also means the body needs you. You have something that Christ has for his church. He's given you something for you to pass along to the body. We need you. We need what Jesus gave you for the benefit of the body. And and you should not minimize that. Right? You don't have to have you don't have to have the spotlight. I I would imagine most people in this room could share a testimony tonight of someone who behind the scenes or away from the spotlight did something that had great significance in your life and your spiritual walk with Christ. Somebody took the initiative to move toward you as a conduit of God's grace. I mean, it might have been that they said something pivotal. It may have been that they just showed Welcome and acceptance to you at a time when you were struggling. It may have been they came along and met a need. Somebody did something that only you, they, and God know about. But that was the hand of God. That was Christ at work. Because he's the head of the church. right? And we're so caught up with the limelight in our culture. We're so caught up with being seen or or what has sort of the glamour positions. We we, want to have status. And that's not the way of Jesus. I mean, think about it. The night he was going to be crucified, right before he's going to be crucified, his, his disciples are sitting at the table arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I don't know about you, here's what I've probably done. What's wrong with you idiots? Haven't you heard a word I've said? Do you know what Jesus did? He grabbed a towel and went and washed their feet. He served them. He showed them what was in the heart of the master and said, what I've just done for you, you need to do for each other. The reality of it is, what has to happen in the life of the church is people to be more interested in serving like Jesus than being recognized, having anybody think about them. We need to forget about ourselves and pursue the path of Jesus. And that's to move toward one another in ways that build each other up. Obviously, in this text, pastors need to equip and people need to serve. Right? We need to have that kind of a framework for the church. So what I hope will happen over the space of a bunch of months is just take and break down the process. If I could just big overview, it would be, the first step is becoming a disciple, right? Trusting in Christ. Belonging to a body of believers. Growing in Christ. Learning to serve him. Learning to share what Christ has given to us, not just in our resources, but in the gospel. And then applying the truth in the trenches of life and multiplying like Jesus called us to. All right, and we're just going to we're just going to unpack that sunday night by sunday night as i have opportunity i trust for our good and the glory of god but let me let me just remind us that all of this springs from what jesus did when he descended took upon himself the sin that we committed descended into the grave, conquered sin and death, and then ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he poured out gifts for the good of his body. It is is about the glory of the risen Lord. That's why we we should be committed to being followers of Christ, and we should be committed to helping each other follow Christ better. Because it's about Christ, really. It's about him and his worth. That he is worthy of every ounce of our devotion. Every expenditure of our service. Christ is worthy of it. And those folks who sit alongside of you, who know Christ, do you know how much they mean to Jesus? He shed his blood for them. I mean, think about it. You sit among a group of people tonight that Christ shed his blood for. They matter to him. They should matter to us. Right? He is the redeemer of our souls.